If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3. Father, we do thank you for the great opportunity we have to gather as believers, to gather in the name of Jesus Christ, to come together as one to worship you, to sing praises to your name, to sing about you, to pray together, to confess our sins and to be reminded that we've been forgiven of those sins, to bring to you our tithes and offerings as we remember, Lord, that you have blessed us in our lives and provided for all of our needs. Father, as we focus on your word, and even more so at this point in our service, we ask that you would continue to bless us and encourage our hearts. We thank you once again, Lord, for the book of Lamentations, a book, Lord, that we knew that would be, in one sense, a, a, a negative book, dealing with a great deal of judgment. But Father, also, as we have discovered last week, can be incredibly encouraging. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would continue to use this book to minister to our hearts. Father, we may think rightly as believers. We thank you, Father, that you're present here with us. We know you're here with us, Father, because we believe your word. And we believe that you told us that you would never leave us and never abandon us. So we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 40. Jeremiah continues, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with the clouds so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. As we have mentioned before in Lamentations, there was no lack of straightforward language to help us to understand the reality of God's judgment, the ending of God's patience, so to speak, but also that God is faithful in every aspect of his word of what he has said. And so as we continue to work our way through this, let me begin by telling you a story of a young lady that I think will be helpful in helping us to understand the ways that we are to apply the message of lamentations and God's faithfulness to our lives. When I was a jail chaplain and we were living on the Big Island of Hawaii, we lived just outside what's called the city of Hilo. It's more like a town, it's pretty small. And in that town, there was a jail. I was, I was a chaplain over two facilities, and one of those was the jail that was there in the town of Hilo. It was a jail that was built for 24 inmates. But at that time, there were 120 that were in there, a little crowded. And of the 120 to sometimes 126 inmates that would be in that jail, there could be at any point anywhere from one to five women. And because of the way the jail was constructed, 
uh, it made it very difficult to house them. And so what the jail was doing were there were two isolation cells that were in the back of the building, and that's where they would house the women. So if you have two women, they each have their own cell. They were one-man cells, but often there were four, and so you would double them up, and there'd be two in each. One of the women that I met, her name was Jacinta. Jacinta was a young woman. She was in her 30s. By the time I met her, she, was, she had been arrested for uh, mailing or uh, marijuana that was grown on the Big Island to California. Uh, marijuana grown on the Big Island brings a pretty good price tag because of its potency, uh, because of the kind of soil they have on the Big Island. And she was making a decent amount of money doing that. She was also a woman who had had six abortions by the time that I met her. And she was just living her life uh, and with no qualms about anything she was doing or how she was living. I won't go into the details of how she became a believer. Uh, that's another great, fascinating story. But she became a believer about three or four weeks after being incarcerated. And so we would meet almost every day. And I was taking her through the Bible and helping to disciple her. And after about 40 or 50 days in the jail, she began to discuss with me a problem that she had. At that time, there were five women in the jail, and so there were three in one cell, and she had a new cellmate. The cellmate she had was a very aggressively vile, foul person. She was uh, very violent. She was an individual who it was entertaining, entertaining for her to agitate everyone she was around. And Jacinta said, I know that I'm now a Christian, but I want to hit this woman really bad. In fact, she says, I have been tempted when she falls asleep to slam her in the head with whatever I can find. And I don't care what they do to me, I can't take it any longer. So I said, well, Jacinta, you began by telling me that you are a believer, which you are. I said, you know that that is sinful. You would sin against God if you do that. She said, but you don't understand. I go, you're right. I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not experiencing that. But I know this. I know that God is sovereign. And I said, you notice that there's three women in the other, in the other cell. She goes, yeah. I said, so God has arranged it because there are no accidents with God. There's no coincidences. Even though the guards determined that the only place they could put her was with you, thinking that maybe you would be able to tolerate this, that was designed and ordained by God. Because this woman clearly needs the Lord Jesus Christ the way that you needed Jesus Christ. She goes, I know that, but she doesn't want to listen. I go, well, you didn't want to listen either when you first came in here. I said, but that's really not the point. It doesn't matter. God has determined that the best place for her to be is in there with you. I said, so let's just say that if we could kind of take a step back and we, and we could kind of know the future, that God has determined that she would stay to you so that you could be a witness to her, even though she won't come to Christ till much later in her life. And that God desires that you will be a good example of what Christ does in the life of an individual. Where you will be the hands and the feet and the, and, the, and the mouthpiece of God in her life. And that you are to treat her with kindness and gentleness and pray for her and seek to be understanding. And let's say that God knows, because God knows everything, 
that the limit, the absolute limit for you is 68 days. And you've only had her and yourself for nine. And so maybe on day 25 or day 28, you finally give in to your temptation and you hit her. And you fail her. And you fail God. And you fail yourself. Or maybe you're able to hold out till day 67. And day 68, because of God's plan, he's going to deliver you from her presence. When you die and God says, could you not wait 24 hours more? What will you say to him? Are you going to blame God and say, God, you don't understand? And as we kind of went through various responses, she finally held her hand up. She goes, I get it. I get it. I get it. And I said, so we need to pray. Pray for her. And I said, I will pray for you. Another week went by. I said, Jacinta, how's it going? Well, it's, it's going better. I go, oh, has her attitude changed? No, it's actually gotten worse. I go, oh, well, what, what's changed? Me. I said, that's awesome. And I said, we need to continue to pray. I said, because God is faithful, and God makes no mistakes, and God is fully aware of how difficult this situation is for you. He understands that you are suffering. He is, he's also bringing you to the end of your natural strength and ability so that you would rely and depend more upon him. And he will carry you through this. When you come to Jeremiah, Jeremiah has described many times what's going on. We finished last week and we talked about how faithful God is and how encouraging it can be to trust in the Lord. And so he begins by saying, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. There is none of this, let's now grieve and feel sorry for ourselves in the midst of our tribulation. No, it is still a turning to God. And the idea is, is to test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. He is calling on the Hebrew people to confess their sins to God. Jeremiah is counseling self-examination. He is counseling repentance. And, we can, and he is counseling returning to the Lord. We, it's already been declared that people are suffering because of their sin. So silence and trust, which we talked about last week, is not enough. Suffer in silence, yes. Trusting in God, absolutely. But this is not a passive, just holding on and hoping you can make it to the end. God desires for you to be active in this. And what he wants us to do is to repent because repentance should follow a recognition of sin. We've already covered several principles. We'll do a quick review of those in what we have already learned so far when it comes to how we should deal with affliction, how Israel was to deal with affliction, how we are to deal with affliction in our life. And there's seven of them. The first one is affliction should be endured with hope in God's salvation. That is God's ultimate restoration. We know that God is not going to leave us alone and then abandon us. There's always a reason or reasons why God is allowing things to happen or causing them, as Jeremiah, Jeremiah makes very clear in this uh, entire book, that God is the cause of all that is happening to Israel. And so when we 
deal when we endure the affliction. We are looking to God with this mindset. Number two, affliction is only temporary. Though it does not seem to be temporary, it is always tempered by God's compassion and love. And just to throw a note in for us to remind us that if you suffer until the day that you actually die, it's still temporary. Because we are looking at it from the perspective of eternity. When we enter into eternity with the Lord, remember, we are very much alive. We are aware of where we are. We are experiencing happiness and bliss. That is not just some wild imaginative thing that we have in our head to help us to get through times of difficulty. And if you suffer until the day you die, God has failed you. There is no promise in here that you are somehow going to overcome these things in this lifetime and experience bliss before you die. There are thousands upon thousands of individuals, we have read their stories, whether from the Bible or from history, of individuals who have, been, who have suffered and then suffered martyrdom for their faith in Christ. The only relief from their affliction came at death. But it was a relief. That is a very real answer to be ushered into the presence of God. We also know that God does not delight in affliction. This isn't making God happy. For whatever reason it is that you and I may be suffering, God isn't happy about that. We know from the book of Ezekiel that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is not God. We are his children. As Jesus also pointed out in, in his sermon, he said, if God takes care of the sparrow, how much more do you think he'll take care of you? We are of greater worth. We are those who are created in the image of God. We are the ones that God has sent his son to the world to die for our sin so we can be reconciled to God and adopted as his children, causing us to be his enemies now turned to his children and to his sons. Fourthly, if, if affliction comes because of injustice, God sees it and he does not approve of it. And we see this in the Old Testament where God may use wicked nations, nations more wicked than Israel, to punish Israel. But those nations do not escape judgment. Those nations will suffer the hand of God. And so when there's a great injustice, we can't somehow begin to blame God because why is God allowing this and why is God allowing that? Is it somehow we are superior and we are greater than God? That God answers to us. God knows exactly what he is doing. God is never unjust. God is never evil. God is never wrong. We also know this, that would be associated with all of this, and that would be fifthly, that affliction is always in relationship to God's sovereignty. So we know that whatever's happening to us is not an accident. We know that somehow God is not in heaven wringing his hands, wondering how is he going to get us out of any situation. He knows exactly the duration of it. When I was speaking with Jacinta, I knew for a fact, though I didn't know the mind of God, I didn't know the mind of God that has been revealed. And God was not in heaven, nervously tapping his fingers, wondering if she was going to make it to the end. That's not what God was doing. God was not overly concerned that somehow she was going to come to the end of herself before he had a chance to deliver her from the situation and she was going to blow it. God wasn't worried about that. God was in charge. We view everything through the, through the idea of God's sovereignty. God's sovereign rule should always bring great comfort to our lives as Christians. In every single situation, 
That should bring us a great sense of comfort. Even though we do not understand, which may often be the case of God's final plan for us, we can rest comfortable. It doesn't always make it easier, but it does in the sense that our perspective is rightly aligned. We know here that in Lamentations, the affliction was ultimately because of Judah's sin. We know for ourselves that ultimately that our suffering is because of A, we live in a world that is cursed by sin. There may be times that our sin complicates the issues in the sense that God is purging us of our own unrighteousness that needs to be rid of in our lives. But it is always related to that factor. If nothing more, then perhaps maybe the sin of someone else's life that we need to be a, an example to them or a manifestation of God's grace to them. But again, because of God's sovereignty, because of God's justice, these things are not happening by accident. That we, we can have a great sense of purpose in this and determine that, that I do not want to fail God in the midst of these difficulties because God is doing something here. Because God is doing something in every situation. In fact... Seventhly, we, we should remember this, that affliction should accomplish the greater good of turning God's people back to him. So when it comes to the, what, what some people use in defense of the presence of evil, because, even though we have a God that is good and powerful, when, when we talk about the greater good, the greater good doesn't mean, it's gonna be, it doesn't mean that it's going to be good for you in a, in a physical sense. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden no one in your family will die or that you will never experience a tragedy. It doesn't mean that, that you'll be like Job and then after you get done with all the suffering, you get back double or triple what you had before. It doesn't mean that. We, we sometimes, sometimes individuals emphasize that. I remember once hearing a lady give her testimonies on the Christian radio station where she was talking about driving her Volkswagen Bug, this was way back in the 70s, uh, on the interstate in Hawaii, you can figure out how that goes. Uh, but she was driving on the interstate, and her VW Bug, which was common back then, would, would catch on fire. And so it caught on fire, and she had to pull over, and she got out, and she was fine. And the car was engulfed in flames. It was destroyed. And then she quoted Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who are called by God. And three days later, she was somehow, I don't know if it was a family member, but she was given a Cadillac. And she says, I, I knew that I was going to receive something better because of what the Bible says. Well, that's not what that verse means. It was great. God did provide for her. And it was great that she got a Cadillac. I mean, that's pretty nice. But somehow what happens is we, we always bring it back to that. But the greater good is for God's people to turn to God. The greater good is for individuals to come to Christ as their Savior. Even when, even when we pray for each other, when we're going through physical difficulties, for those in our congregation who may have cancer, who may be suffering even treatments of that, we do pray for God to heal them, or for God to cause the cancer to go into remission. Or We do pray for those things, and it's not wrong to do that. But remember that the greater good is not their physical health. The greater good is they come out, they come out of that a better Christian. The greater good is that God uses what they're going through and how they are going through it to lead others to Christ or perhaps maybe to cause other believers to be renewed in their strength. That's the greater good. The greater good is that God is glorified in whatever's taking place, whether I live well and am healed or I live well and die well. God is to be glorified. 
It is wonderful to always hear, and I've heard this a few times from some of the elderly in our congregation who have passed on, who have told me that in, in their last, which ended up being their last weeks of life, that they wanted to die well. And what that meant for them, in a very practical, everyday sense, was that regardless of how much pain they were in, they weren't going to snap at their family members. They weren't going to be irritable with the nurses. They weren't going to blame doctors or others for what was going on. They wanted to die well, glorifying the Lord in every aspect of their life as well as looking forward to being with him and not being afraid. Looking at verse 43, in particular verse 44, we have a very harsh statement by Jeremiah. Speaking about God, he says, You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. So the Lord had blocked himself off from his people like a cloud blocks the heavens so their prayers would not affect him. Nowhere else in the book of Lamentations and perhaps nowhere in the entire Bible is God's refusal to be present more strongly expressed. To me, there are certain statements in the Bible that are absolutely devastating to read and to understand. I think it should instill in us a fear of God. Not that we are afraid of him, but that he is greater in purpose. He is majestic. He is so far above us, he should never be questioned. And when he is angered because of sin, when he is determined to accomplish his purposes, there should be, in a sense, a knot in our throat that makes it difficult to swallow because I may not be on the same page. And here when he says that God has put himself in a position to not be affected by our prayers, that should be devastating for us to read. I do believe, we look at it, I guess, looking at ourselves psychologically, that if we imagine you and I being in a place where God is not going to hear us pray, let's say for several months, if that doesn't bother you, then something is up with your prayer life and something is up with the way you view prayer. And I do believe, and it is sad to say, and maybe it's true for all of us at some point, I will admit that it has been true in my life at points where to miss prayer for a while then change nothing. It's not a good place to be. And when you're in it, you don't really know that. You don't really experience that. You want to get to a point to where when this takes place, if this was to happen, you would be almost unable to sleep. Imagine the individual that you love to be with the most right now. The individual that, that is in your life on a regular basis that you converse with. And, and you were to be cut off from that person for a, for a while where they determine they do not want to hear from you for a while, yet all the while telling you that their love for you has never changed. But don't talk to me. That doesn't 
that is a compute that would be upsetting of everything in our life. And that's what is going on here. This is the thing that Jeremiah is experiencing. This is what the people of Israel are experiencing. This to me is a, is a dreadfully fearful thing to be involved in. Because it's almost as if you're brought to the brink to where you think that perhaps your understanding of God has been wrong. Where, where you, you have been convinced that God is always going to be merciful and that God is always going to be there and now there are very real doubts because of what God is doing. God's not afraid to bring us to that point. He's not afraid to do that. And it's for our benefit. It's for us to recognize maybe how greatly we need him because we easily think that we don't. And when I say that we easily think that we don't, it's not that we wake up in the morning and actually think those thoughts. We just live our life. We just really don't give a thought to God. I mean, you know, when, still, when I need food, it's a 30-second drive to Kroger. You know, I don't think. In fact, I get irritated. If I go there to get, there's this artificially sweetened, decaffeinated tea I like to drink. Man, if they run out, I mean, I, I'm like, what in the world? What good is this store? You know, I get irritated at that. I mean, and there's all the, you know, there's certain things that we, that we like and, and it bothers us. I don't, I don't really think about God. And it's not, that you have to, it's not that you have to get out of your car in the Kroger parking lot and think, oh, God is good, please, God. You know, it's not, it's not that kind of thing. But it is a recognition. We have access to is because of God's goodness, because of God's grace, because of his provision. And I, would never want, I don't ever want to be in this, but I do know that for some individuals, and maybe you've been there, that we can go through times of great difficulty. Normally, some, it can be financial, but normally it has to do with our physical health. That's normally how we experience this, where you get bad news after bad news after bad news from the doctor. And things don't look good. He's got nothing good to say. And he's hoping this might work and hoping that might work. And so far, whatever's happened, is, it's not working. And you begin to feel. You begin to feel that God has abandoned you. You begin to feel that God is not hearing your prayer. It's a dark place to be. No one wants to experience that. People have experienced that. It doesn't mean they're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean that. It means they're a human being. Maybe it's God's revealing to them that their understanding of God and the Bible is not where it needs to be. That may be true. But it's not helpful at that moment. At that moment, there's, it's just... And sometimes you can feel bad talking to an individual because if they start spouting those things off, you want to have an answer for them. And you don't have one. You can't say, well, here's three things that I know that God is doing. Now, you can in a general sense. But sometimes they don't want to hear that. But we can pray for them. Because I, I trust God. And I trust that God will, will heal their emotional pain. That God will at least begin to deliver them by helping them to recognize and see that God has not left them. That God would give them that sense of hope. And God often does, but it's, it's a lot of times, though, it's not immediate. They've got to go on a, a few more days, maybe longer than that. It's a hard thing to learn. It's a hard thing to come to the absolute end of yourself. But, but we, we often need to do that. And we come out on the other side, and it's, it's a glorious rejoicing of the presence of the Lord when that happens. But here in the midst of all of this, 
Again, where Jeremiah begins by saying, test and examine yourself and what? Return to the Lord. He's asking us to do that. Back if you look at verse 47, he says, panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. So even though devastation and destruction has come, panic here is listed in verse 47 first. Panic is often a human reaction to what's going on. It's hard not to panic at certain times. There are many different kinds of situations where we have a moment of absolute panic. Remember one time my wife and I, back when you used to go to the mall on a regular basis, when our oldest son was very, very young, uh, we, were, we were at some department store and we were, you know, looking for whatever. And I've always been really, uh, I've always been very, uh, not, maybe fearful is the word, but man, I watch my kids like a hawk. Don't trust anybody. Well, Jeremy disappeared. Oh, man. Man, I tell you, my heart rate just doubled. I immediately look around to see if I see anybody moving quickly. I'm, I'm looking for him. I'm not being gentle now. I'm grabbing racks, moving them out of my way. He was close. There was, you know, they have those circular racks. And he was in the middle, sitting down. Grabs him by the shirt. Then I hugged him. Man, there was, that was panic. There was fear that just completely enveloped me at that moment. And we sometimes can feel that panic depending on the situations that we're in. And so there's relief that it, just, it doesn't go away. God can relieve us of that. And here, as they're going through this, when the armies of Babylon continue to come in and people keep dying and babies keep dying and there's no food and God, as he says, is not hearing their prayers, this can bring panic because all you're thinking is this is the end. It's over. There is... There's only death that is left. In fact, he says, My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all of the daughters of my city. He is going to weep and weep until he knows that God is fully aware of this. On one hand, he knows that God is aware. On the other hand, he wants to have that sense that God knows what's going on because I believe he's convinced that when God really grasps all that's going on, God will move on their behalf. He goes on and he even talks about himself. Verse 52, I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head and I said, I am lost I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of, my, of the pit, and you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. So here, Jeremiah is thinking back to a moment in his life when God delivered him. And that is giving him that sense of hope for the future, that God will deliver that's why it's important for us not only know the stories of the Bible and how God has delivered his people, but in your family, when God has answered prayer, when God has delivered, you need to share those stories and repeat those stories with your children. So when they perhaps may go through something, they can recall, 
when God came through. And notice the way he phrases that. I think it is so great and important. He says, you came near and said, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Presence is so important. Early on, when we first moved here from Hawaii, Cindy was somewhere, I'm not sure where, but I had left the kids alone. I was at the jail working. Jeremy was the oldest. He was old enough to take care of the kids. And there was a moment in the weather here in Savannah where my youngest son was convinced, even though he was about seven, that the book of Revelation had now was coming to fruition. Hail was falling from the sky. They had never seen that before. They were outside playing and the ice began to fall and it hurts. And they were running in and it just kept pouring and pouring and he was flipping out. Well, the good news was the power had gone out at the jail. So when they run up on generator power, everything closes down. All the inmates got to go back to their office. And so I was in my office because I normally wasn't in my office when the phone rang. And it was the oldest son who said, you need to talk to your youngest son because he is losing it. And so I began to talk to him and explain to him what was going on, what was happening. But what he wanted to hear, even though I was getting there, was he wanted his dad to say, it's going to be okay. And when, I, and when I said that, he was calming down and it was okay. But I know this, that if I was there at the house and I could immediately put my arms around him and it was okay, he would have been over that so much faster. If I was there, it's, it's going to be okay. It would have been good. In fact, I would have said, hey, let's go out and collect some ice. You know, this would be cool kind of a thing. And so presence is important to so hear what he mentions, that God came near. And said, so don't be afraid. You see, now the enemies of, of, of Jeremiah, they had been silenced. Because what happened was, is Je uh, Jeremiah, they had placed him in a pit. And, and they covered it with a large stone. That's in Jeremiah chapter 38. See, during the final days, Jeremiah had created a lot of enemies. He was a prophet of God, but he had a lot of enemies. So people from his own hometown plotted to kill him. And everybody at the temple demanded that he be executed. Imagine that. I show up to work one day here, and the entire congregation wants me to be executed. That'd be a bad day. That'd be a day I would not want to see. But that's what was going on. He's at the temple, and everybody there, it's unanimous. They want him to be executed. So he was taken, he was beaten, and he was thrown into a prison like he was a traitor. Uh, and at the end of, uh, near the end of Nebuchadnezzar's siege, so, toward, so, so low, after he was lowered into the cistern, the Red Sea was starved to death, uh, that's when he was praying out to God and calling out to God. And if you read through the story, he ends up being delivered by, by a very faithful friend. And so he talks about God delivering him, God being near and delivering him and saying him not to be afraid. So Jeremiah prayed to the Lord out of this very desperate condition. He believed the Lord had heard his prayer. He begged that the Lord would pay attention to his petition and grant him deliverance. So in the past, the Lord did heed his prayers, had given him hope. The Lord had rescued him. God had redeemed him or delivered him. Uh, from destruction. And so in verse, 40, in verse 57 here, in the book of Lamentations, it's the only time that God ever speaks to those who are suffering and where it says that God comes near and then says, do not fear. And we go back over those seven things that we covered before, that's what all those things should lead us to, is to not fear. To not be afraid in the situation or circumstance that we're suffering. God was near 
And because God was near, it says in verse 58, You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me. O Lord, judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts. Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be upon them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. So we shouldn't be surprised that Jeremiah was asking God to treat his enemies this way. Basically, God get them. What they've done is wrong, and it's a rejection of you. Take care of business. We, we have this tension in the Bible where sometimes we have individuals praying this way, yet we're also commanded to pray for those who persecute us, to pray for their salvation, and to do good to them. I don't think we have to try to, to figure all that stuff out. We just follow what the Bible says. And I think here, I think what most of us understand is that Jesus has told us that don't be surprised when the world hates you because they hate him first. And we're being persecuted for being believers. We understand how we are to, to deal with that and to take that. But again, what's going on here is there's a turning to God and asking God for deliverance, for God to bring that. And if you read the full Bible, you know that in the end, the bottom line is, is that, that indeed God is going to deliver and God is going to punish those who are coming against us. And so to cap off what we dealt with last week, what do we do while we are waiting in the midst of our affliction and suffering? What do you actually do? You don't just hang on and fret. You don't call people and then complain over and over how bad it is. What do we do? While you're waiting, do good and examine yourself. When you examine yourself, confess, recognize your sin, confess your sin and repent. Make that time of great value to yourself. That is how we are to respond. And if we respond that way, the suffering will go better. Because the, even though the circumstance is the same, the emphasis you put on it is going to be different. And you will have strength. You will have God's grace. You will be led by the Lord. You will be comforted by God. And you will overcome. Whether that affliction lasts another three days, another three months, or until you take your last breath, you will be triumphant. You, there will be no regrets testimony after testimony of many Christians who have been martyred for their faith, when you hear from others who have watched them die and watched them executed, there is that statement, there is that, that expression of, of triumphantness that those individuals overcame, that until the end they were faithful to God and they would be richly rewarded by God, as the Word of God says. And so we don't need to be afraid, we don't have to faint, we don't have to hide. We can face these things and embrace them. Not because we love them, but because we know the God who is bringing this to pass. And he can be trusted. And though we may be fearful and we may have doubts, we turn to the Lord. And we ask God to deliver us. And while we're waiting for God to deliver us, we ask God for the strength and the grace to examine ourselves. Just to make sure that we are dealing with this correctly. That I'm responding as I should as a believer. That, that I am trying to uncover if there is sin in my life that is making this worse or maybe has brought this on. And that God would give me the desire to repent of these things so that I may not become cynical, that I will not become bitter, that my joy in the Lord will become rooted much more deeply. 
so that my rejoicing will be magnified that much more at the deliverance of the Lord and what he brings to pass in our life. How great will that be? And we'll be able to share that with other believers and be encouraged that God is faithful. Trust in the Lord. He will never let you down. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful again because of your goodness and grace. Father, we know that you are very much aware of not only the ups and downs that we go through in life, but that, Father, that we can experience great depths of maybe even despair or desperation. That there are some who can go through times that the, the blackness surrounds them and they see no light. We pray, Lord, that you would grant them your grace. We pray, Lord, that they will have enough within them to trust in you, that your spirit would strengthen them to realize that they can cling to you and that you won't let us down. To remind us, Lord, that this life is not all there is. To remind us, Lord, that you are faithful, that you do keep all of your promises, and that you would give them the strength to endure. For most of us, Father, here, where we live now in this place, we're not going to experience a persecution that will lead us to death though that time may come. But whatever affliction that we are enduring now, we pray, Lord, that you will grant us your grace to endure that affliction well. And Father, you will help us to turn our eyes upon you. For those of us, Father, who are not enduring affliction, may we, in our ease, pray and reach out to those who are suffering. And may we pray that they will that they will turn to you or that they will trust in you. May we do all we can to help them to trust in you, to remind them to trust in you, not in some pithy way, but in a very real way, where we can present that to them in love and kindness and grace. That, Father, we may stand together, even though at times we feel like we stand alone. And above all that, Father, we are grateful that you can be trusted, that you are with us right now, and whether we are in the throes of affliction, whether we are even rebelling against you, or we are bathing in the promises of God, you are with us, and you will never abandon us. And for that, we thank you. And I pray, Lord, for those who may need it the most, that you would help them to have a, a, a sense of your presence here. Now, Father, they may be comforted, and they may be strengthened. Prepare all of us, Father, for the days to come. If those days are to be filled with affliction and tension, help us, Father, to learn now to trust you. We know, Lord, that by trusting you, in trusting you, there are no regrets. There will never be any regrets in trusting you because you are indeed faithful. Help us to remember the times in our lives when you have been faithful in the past and to be reminded, Lord, that that manifests your character that you're always faithful. Thank you, Father, again, for your undying love for us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.